Welcome to the Moncast. This is Michael Gene Sullivan. Now, for the past 60 years, the Tony and Obie Award winning, and despite its name, never ever silent San Francisco mime troupe has brought its brand of revolutionary theater to audiences across the country and around the world. Their original musical comedies, and some dramas, but mainly comedies, have tackled social and economic and environmental justice, civil rights, workers' rights, gender equality, oppression at home and abroad, and how capitalism is essentially antithetical to democracy. Hundreds of artists, actors, designers, writers, directors, composers, lyricists, and choreographers have helped the mime troupe inform, entertain, and stir up the working class over the decades. And the Mimecast is a chance to get to know some of them a little bit better. Today we are more than happy and privileged to have someone who uh, worked all over the country in New York now. But he did a mind trip show years ago, and I'm really happy to have him here. Actor Reggie D. White. Woo! Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Oh, you know, all things considered, I'm pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking a little bit about, since we're still in the uh, the shelter-at-home thing right now, that Reggie's sheltered-at-home in a... In nice, like out in the country where he can go for walks and stuff. Where are you at exactly? Uh, yeah, I'm, so I live in Brooklyn right now, or at least that's where I'm allegedly paying rent to, to, to live. Uh, but about seven weeks ago, my partner and, and I uh, went upstate to a little town like three hours out of the city. Um, so we've been here for almost two months. It's insane that it's flown by so quickly, but it's it's very lovely and beautiful and a nice, a nice break. <laughs> a nice break. But after a while, it's going to be like, okay, enough of the break. I do. Need a break I from do, the break. I do miss, I do miss Wendy's. So, yeah. <laughs> That's going to be the blurb of the commercial. That, they should be shooting those right now. Just people at home going, I miss Wendy's. I miss Wendy's. I miss Wendy's. And some of my friends who are in the city, like, are you know, they're still delivering, like, all those delivery services. Um, so yeah. they send me pictures to 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 troll me a little bit, um, but to let uh -huh. me know that they're thinking about me whenever they have a spicy chicken sandwich. Mm. Well, see, now you got to film when you go out for a walk. You've got to, like, show yourself walking outside without a mask on in the woods. Oh, no, I still do. Yeah. I, just, I get too superstitious. I'm like, uh-uh. I don't know. I don't know about these squirrels and chipmunks and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> make it too close. That's what somebody's got to make it. Make little ones for the squirrels. Little exactly. ones for the squirrel just to be sure. So then you can be safe. Exactly. Okay, so. Yeah. I saw one where somebody had made one for a tree. They just stuck it on the tree. Just, just which that's might a be lovely a little gesture. Yeah, the tree feels better. It's not. It's fully, not. Common. Yeah, I don't fully understand the gesture, but I think that's a lovely, it's a lovely yeah. gesture. <laughs> it's a thought. Yeah. Okay, so starting to talk about you. Uh, so let's start at the beginning. Where were you born? Uh, so I was born in the Bay. Actually, uh, really, San Jose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, my parents went in college, and then they, you know, romantic, ran away and got married and all that stuff. Um, and then I was born in San Jose, uh, and that 
uh, marriage did not last too long after that. Um, <laughs> so my mom and I. Now, wait, wait, I want to go back to the. So, so did they meet? What college did they meet at? Uh, yeah, they, were they, they in both the were student athletes at Azusa Pacific University in Azusa, California. Um, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so and then they moved they, to Santa Fe? After they graduated, my dad had lived in the Bay, and so my mom went with him, and then they got married, and then I came along, and yeah, that was about the end okay. of their marriage. <laughs> Um, and then my mom and I moved uh, to Southern California with my grandparents. Uh, so that's really where I grew up uh, between mm-hmm. Southern California mm-hmm. and New Orleans because my mom's side of the family is from there, lived there. My great grandparents were still alive when I was younger. So I would spend like three or four months out of the year there. Wow. So I feel like I grew up in both places, but technically mm-hmm. I was born in the Bay. That's that. Well, I'm just thinking about. Uh, how so you were born up here and where in Southern California did you live? Was it um, all over or did you? No, no, no a, a small, tiny town called Montclair, uh, which is actually oh. on the border of San Bernardino County and LA County. Um, it's like 30,000, like my whole entire life, there were like 30,000 people that lived in that city. Um, super, super tiny. Um, and then I lived. Uh, sort of around there. Like, my grandparents' house is still there, and then my mom and I moved to Upland, which is, like, the city on the border of it, which is much bigger. It's 60,000 people. Um, Wow. (laughs) I know, a metropolis, a thriving metropolis of 60,000 people. Uh, And then I lived in Upland until I moved back to the Bay for college. Huh. You may not know the answer to this question, but so your grandparents... Had yes. moved out to the, and from uh, did they did they move from where? They moved and from New why? Orleans. Yeah, yeah. They, so they moved my, from... <laughs> um, well, in the '60s, the South was not an excellent place for brown people. I mean, neither was California, oh, yeah. but it was a, it was a little better. Um, my grandfather is uh, a, ther- a music therapist, and so he had finished. Mm-hmm his doctoral training and had uh, been offered a job, been placed in a job at a a hospital in in Los Angeles. So in 1968, my grandfather, my grandmother, my mom, and her two older brothers moved to Southern California. And my mom's youngest brother came along a couple of years after that. Oh, okay. My parents moved, we moved from Detroit in 63. you know, when I was a tiny tot, we yeah. moved out. And so for you know, so it's like I guess they felt like Detroit, yeah. And also, my father was into doing like early computing, and that's where it was before Silicon Valley it was in LA. That's amazing. So, so I, that's why I was curious. But anyway, okay, I'm, so you're a little I'm kid. actually very curious to to like chart. Maybe this is a, a play idea for like a, f- a few years from now once we're allowed to do those again. Like what <laughs> <laughs> what influence um, what's the like black tech influence before Silicon Valley? Um, mm-hmm. And to like see where, like what the, cause we all know about the great migration to the North, right. but I'm also curious about like what, what it was to be a black American in the sixties in California when people left places like the South or the Midwest. Mm-hmm. That's, that's fascinating. Yeah, I had thought that is interesting. 
Yeah, because like I said, for my father, he was a radio man in the Army, and then he moved right into, like, early computers, and then to drag the family out to L.A., because that's where it was. And then he ended up in Silicon Valley, but the image you have of Silicon Valley is never black people. Right, Or never. early computers. There are black people all over the place, but we've, they've kind of been erased a little we bit. We only see black turtlenecks, huh. but not black people. Yeah, really. That's the title. Only black turtlenecks allowed. <laughs> we need to fix that. Well, I guess, you know, early on, Steve Jobs had a little black man clinging to him. <laughs> but he got rid of him. Uh, but it, it, don't forget me. I helped you. Uh, but anyway, so uh, back to your little kid. You're living in uh, uh, Southern California. Um, so how long was it before you moved back up? And, um, and what was it like being down there? I mean, I a little kid in L.A. The uh, LA area. It was a lot. So my so we lived in a suburb, uh, you know, the tiny, tiny town of Montclair. But my grandfather and my mom worked in Los Angeles proper. So growing up as a mm. kid, I spent a lot of time in the back seat of my mom or grandpa's car, uh, driving to and from work, driving to and from school, driving to and from church, like a lot of mm. a lot of car naps were had mm-hmm. um the weather was always great um lots of good food uh yeah i mean it's it's it was nice and lovely i i i there were lots of times where i was like i was part of the bubble of the generation that still had the tv where you had to like turn the knob before like oh, yeah. became a thing so you know, mm-hmm. lots of getting up to change the bunny ears and like turn the clicker on the like the actual clicker. Um, it was good. It was lovely. I, I mean, it was you know there was it was all I knew. Uh, I didn't mm-hmm. do a ton of art stuff when I was a kid. I mostly did sports because I came I come from a, a family of a lot of people playing sports. My mom played sports in high school and college. My dad was an athlete. Um, so I played just about every team sport as a kid except basketball um Mm. i did gymnastics for a while i did figure skating for about a year um figure skating yeah 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 absolutely i absolutely was like a figure skater and i would be glued to the television whenever michelle kwan would be performing um i know i know no surprise um and then found (laughs) What were you going to say? No, no, nothing. Go on. Uh, and then I found my way to tennis in, like, sixth grade, and that's the one that stuck. Uh, so most of my growing up was, like, being carted around from school to after-school activity to sports. Very very busy. Very busy as a kid. Uh, what, what sport did your mother do? The, or sports? My mom ran track, and she played tennis. Um and then her younger brother played basketball and her older brother played her old two older brothers played every single sport. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So you came from quite the family. Yeah, quite, wow. came from quite the athletic family, absolutely. So you weren't focused on art or any anything at that point. You were figuring you were just having fun doing sports as a kid or did you think that's what you were going to do? Um I was just having fun. I, I, so in LA, like I had done 
some like commercials and I was on a couple episodes of like TV, but again, like I didn't think that was a real career. Like I thought that was just fun too. I was fully convinced as a kid that I was going to be a lawyer and my grandma uh, up until 2000, up until the 2004 DNC was convinced that I was going to be the first black president, but obviously somebody beat me. Um, yeah. <laughs> but wait a minute. Uh, I, I want to go back to the, I did a little television and some commercial stuff. I mean, like nothing. Because nothing you got to know huge. that for most people, I know, but for most people, just that is huge. You know, <laughs> when they're in LA or wherever, they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A couple of commercials, one commercial would be nice. Um, a couple of television shows. How did that happen? Uh, so, you know, my mom lived in L.A., and, or my mom worked in L.A., and she worked for uh, a pretty large church. Like, before people were calling them mega churches, it was kind of a mega church. And at Denzel Washington was a member of the church, and, like, Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. came a bunch, and, like, a bunch of, okay. you know, like, Hollywood black people. Um, mm-hmm. And I did, I was the one of the leads in our school's like second in the Christmas play when I was in second grade and Robert, one of Robert Townsend's producers saw it and asked, you know, like my mom, like, did I want to be on the parenthood? Um, Mm -hmm. So I was on the parenthood a couple of times and then I did a juicy juice commercial when I was like seven. Um, Actually I was, when the Lion King did its out-of-town tryout in Los Angeles, like, before it went to Broadway, I got very, very, yeah. very close um, to being young Simba, and I didn't get it. And really? I was like, this is terrible. I hate acting. This is awful. Like, I quit. I never want to do this again. I'm just going to play sports and be a serious person at seven years old. I was, like, jaded and over it. Um, so, yeah. No, <laughs> I, did, I, I did a know. little bit... Basically, basically. Yeah. But I mean, that's so that's that's a lot. I mean, so what was that like even as a little kid having to like learn and remember lines and being around all of these grown ups in this situation? I mean, I was an only child. uh, So my mom and dad uh, got divorced when I was three. Um, So I was my I was my mother's only child, but my dad had other kids after me. But I grew up mostly as an only child and the youngest around a lot of older cousins. And I mean, I grew up very quickly, so I was around a lot of adults all the time. So I kind of okay. enjoyed it and loved being on set. And I, I, I still have like very visceral, clear memories of being in the like trailer with the tutor, like doing all of our homework and I would finish all my homework and I would just like sit around and <laughs> me and Kyla Pratt would like, <laughs> <laughs> We would chase each other a bunch. It was like very, yeah. very silly and and very childish. Um, but it was it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I, you know, loved being a ham, which I clearly grew out of. Um. Oh yeah, <laughs> such an introvert now. Yeah, <laughs> but it was great. It was great. I I thought it was it was a lot of, and I think also the thing about TV that's different from theater. Although I mean, on Sundays, like I was in the choir as a kid. So I was like singing in front of like 3000 people regularly. So that I didn't really have a relationship to like stage fright or or anything. But the thing that was cool about TV was it was quiet and we could do it over and over again. And 
there was no worry about like if a joke didn't land like it, it felt safe in a way mm -hmm. uh but yeah it, it it was it was easy and fun and 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 silly oh cool wow and my mom was not a stage yeah. mom at all like she she still doesn't understand the difference between an audition and a callback and and all that stuff so i didn't i didn't really feel any pressure to do anything i didn't want to do she was just like okay great oh we'll we'll keep doing mm -hmm. it so that was nice yeah, so after uh, – that's a question. After uh, – so they, they say they're interested in you. And with the other things, would it, did you have to go out on other auditions and stuff? Or was it still just like, well, this kid's good, you know? Let's have yeah, him bring I mean, like, straight to a callback. It was – it was uh, they were like two small – like I had like three lines in two episodes. I was one of – their son's name was Curtis, and I was like in Curtis's class. So I was like the know-it-all kid. Um so I, they were just like, here, do you want to do this? And I was like, sure, okay, yes, I'm going to be on TV. Um, <laughs> and I had, like, no no concept for any of that stuff. But, yeah, this was, like, back in the, the early 90s. Um, mm. But, yeah, no, I, I, I don't think there were callbacks. Like, they were just like, here you go. And I was like, okay, thanks. Cool. Yeah. See, now that's the sort of there thing. There were certainly like, lots of callbacks like, for the line. Yeah, I did a couple of Oh, yeah. I bet a bunch of them. A lot of callbacks. I remember going I remember going on at least five auditions for that. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's the way. Yeah. I remember Valina did an audition for when they were going to, after they'd done Broadway and they were going to do their national tour. And Valina uh, uh, did the, uh, she did the, um, the audition up in San Francisco, and they said, okay, we're really interested in you to play his mother. You know, do you want to fly down to L.A. and do this other callback? And she was like, yeah. She worked on the stuff, and she, you know, practicing and practicing. And the day that she was supposed to fly down to L.A. was like 9-11. And so all flights got canceled. And she was like, um, well, this national tragedy has happened, and yeah. nobody could fly anywhere. And and they said, yeah, well, that's it. You can't fly down to L.A. or get down to L.A. to do this callback. We're not going to reschedule it for – and it's like – she's like, but but no one can do stuff. And they're like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, so yes, we've, we've, we've changed – our perspective has changed a little bit in the last 19 years, which is helpful. But, yeah, it used to not – it was not good at all. Yeah. No yeah. flexibility. And now, and now with everybody having to stay at home, there's a lot more flexibility. But yeah. so, okay. But back to you. So you're uh, you're a little kid. So why did your why did your mother why did your mother move up to San Jose? Uh, when she and my dad got married, or after? No, no, no. I mean after, after oh, you were down down in Montclair. So oh, I, it was so, just you. Yeah, yeah. So for college, I moved by myself back up to the Bay. Oh. Yeah. So what, So you were like doing little kid acting, mm -hmm. and then when you got to like when you got to middle school and high school, you weren't doing it anymore. At all. You just doing school stuff. Nothing. I was just doing sports and just like you know, captain overachiever, doing way too much, doing way too much, um, and then my. My high school counselor, like the week before the last 
week of school in my junior year told me that I didn't have any art on my transcript and that it, it might mm. be a problem for applying to colleges. And I flipped out because I was like, we had a very specific conversation in my sophomore year about me taking French and art history at a level. And that was my art requirement. And she was like, yeah, well, it's your art, but not your fine art. And I was like, what is the difference? So I was like in a scramble to figure out how I could like, you know, put some fine art on my, um, on my transcript. And I was not good at painting or drawing or clay or woodworking or any of that stuff. And the choir kids were really, really weird. I didn't think I could learn an instrument that quickly. So I was like, I guess I'll audition for theater. I, I, I think I remember how to do that still. Um, and she was like, well, you know, uh, the acceptance rate to get into the honors theater class is like 10%. I don't know if it's even worth it for you to audition. You should just do the regular theater. And I was like, I think I think I got it. I think I got it. Uh, and so, have and you none seen, of them, like, like, here's my reel. Yeah. I was like, here's, here's my resume. You might have seen me on television. <laughs> no, yeah. definitely not. Um, uh, so I made it into the honors theater class and, and I did two plays in high school. And then my freshman year of college at Cal State Hayward, now Cal State East Bay, I was like, I'm going to get this theater thing out of the way so I can focus on being a serious lawyer. And then, I got, that was it. That was, it was, that, that lasted about three months. And then I, my, the, my professor basically blackmailed me into auditioning for the winter musical, which was the whiz and the rest is mm -hmm. history. So, so what was that, you know, breaking that news to your mother that you were slightly starting to switch from lawyer to actor she really didn't they didn't care like I I mean I was I was again like doing way too much in college so I was taking like 26 quarter units I was like in six classes it was insane um and then they all came to see the whiz on like closing weekend and I think uh I, I was the whiz and so mm. that big number at the end of act one, so you wanted to meet the wizard. And my mom just looked at my grandparents and she was like, he's not going to be no damn lawyer. Uh, <laughs> so they, they knew. Or they he's going to be the most like, dramatic yeah. lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they knew. Yeah. So I, I tried. Oh, cool. I like kept up the, I, I double majored. I kept my double major for a very long time. And I was like still taking my pre-law classes and all that stuff. And, and then. It just slowly, once once Barack Obama took the pressure off of me to be the first black president, I think it made it a lot easier for my grandparents to accept me forsaking my law career. <laughs> well, that's So good. thanks, Barack. That's good. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, because, I mean, it's like having your mother be able to, to roll with that change, having your grandparents be able to do it. Yeah. That's a whole other thing. You know, yeah. Uh, what 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 was their thing? What did they do? Uh, uh, they so my my grandfather is a, a therapist, a music therapist, and my grandmother oh, yeah, right. um, worked uh, a lot of housekeeping and custodial jobs. Uh, she um, was born on a sharecropping plantation in 1930, um, and mm -hmm. 
she didn't finish her bachelor's degree until she was 76. Um, so she wow. got married really young to her first husband uh, and then got married to my grandfather and raised four children and three grandchildren. Um, so she put a lot of her life on hold uh, and did a lot of like childcare and early child education. So um, when she was 60, she was like, okay, I think I'm gonna go back to school. And then she went to community college and finished um, her degree in early childhood education in her seventies. Um, and then she like, wow. just, yeah, she, she was an incredible person. Um, and I appreciate now as an adult who has found my own path in life, you know, and, and I think this is the experience for a lot of people who come from immigrant families or families of color where there isn't a long legacy of, of education that like they put all their hopes into me and that I was, you know, going to be the first and I was going to do so many things. And it was nice to know that they were willing to roll with the punches because they saw how much it meant to me. I think if it was like, if I was more mm -hmm. about something, I think they would be like, are you sure you don't want to be a lawyer? But I think they saw very clearly that I, you know, had, found something that worked for me and, and they were incredibly supportive and and still you know still to this day like they don't understand anything they don't understand any of the business or any of that stuff and um, my my mom and grandpa flew to New York to see me uh, in the inheritance and they were like we don't get Broadway or what it is but like good for you um, so <laughs> I, I'm very 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 lucky in that in that respect. Yeah, because I mean, I know people, I know people who all through, you know, their parents, they like get up to the 50s, their, their own 50s, and they're working, parents are still like, yeah, but yeah. when are you going to get a day job? When are you going to get serious? Yeah, when yeah. are you going to grow up? And it's like, yeah. I got kids. <laughs> like, yeah, but you're not grown yet, you know? So, yeah. so it's I great to hear. I think it's oh, also because, like, I, again, like, knocking on all the wood around, especially now, um, have been very fortunate to not place a lot of phone calls on the 28th and 29th of the month being like, how about that rent money? Um, I, think, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think if I had made, like, six more of those phone calls, I think they might have a different opinion about it. <laughs> but I've, I've been very fortunate um, to be able to, like, take care of myself. Uh, as an artist, mm -hmm. and so I think that that made them relax a little bit and and, and realize that I was going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a huge difference because if you're not in that stereotype, if it's right. like, okay, I'm not asking for money and I'm not on heroin, you know, right. like so, literally. Are you sure it. you're like, an actor? That's it. Like, can you pay your own rent? Yeah. And are you like, yeah. are you okay? Yeah. You're not on the corner. No, no, right. I'm doing okay. Oh, I'm not yeah. homeless, and yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I felt I, I feel very fortunate um, that I've mm. that I've been able to like support myself because I know that that's not the case for a lot of people, and and like especially in the early days when I before I was equity and like doing all those jobs for exposure because exposure helps pay rent. Um, I, yeah. I was, I was really nervous and I was like, oh God, I really hope I figure something out. Um, so 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I survived. I survived. Yeah, because there, like I said, that image of, you know, that image of the starving actor can just scare the shit out of parents. You know? Uh, and it's like, yeah. most actors, they're not starving, but that, that image of the person who's willing to do anything. And, and it's like, no, that's not most of us, and that is not, and you go, that's not me. But, yeah, if you're not having to make those phone calls and not saying, well, there's this room under the stairs, yeah. you know, you're not living that stereotype, it can give them a little a little comfort, I guess. Yes. You know, my very, family, very they still don't understand. Like, oh, do you know um, Andrew Chappelle? He's, uh, he was in uh, Hamilton for a while. Um, that he's been for years. I don't, I don't think we yeah. met. He's my cousin. Oh, my God. And he did, yeah, he did Hamilton all these years, and I didn't even know. I didn't know he was in the business. I thought I was the only one in the my extended family on both sides that was anywhere close to theater. That's and then one day hilarious. I find out my aunt said, oh, I told my aunt that I was going to New York uh, a few years ago. I said, yeah, I'm going to visit. She said, oh, you should see my son. He's in this little show called Hamilton. Never so I that. went and stayed on his couch and went to see the show and stuff. But But outside of everybody else, there, it was like it's like this little lifeboat of understanding in the family, you know. Yeah. Everybody else on both sides is like still like you do what? Yeah, anyway. I mean, my mom's my mom's younger brother is a singer, and I like I grew up. And he was my he still is like my idol. Um, he plays three instruments and like has such an amazing voice, um, and like traveled in undergrad and in grad school, like traveling, doing concerts at like, I think he even performed at Rockwood, like in the nineties. Um, wow. But he followed in my grandpa's footsteps and he's a music therapist. So I think, I think at like 26, when I still hadn't like transitioned into like grown up work, I think they knew that the ship had sailed. Um, so they were like, <laughs> oh, okay. Cause they're, you know, like, I come from an, uh, an athletic family, but also people in my family are, are gifted, you know, musicians. Like my grandfather has an amazing voice and is an amazing pianist. His mother sang a bunch. So I, I come from a lot of people who are like artistically inclined, um, but for one reason or another, you know, didn't want to take the the chance of like trying to to pursue it as a as a career. So again, yeah. again, I'm like. I cross my fingers and thank my lucky stars every day that I I was able to like give it a go for as long as I have. Yeah. Well, having them having them understand gives you that transition time that is like a bridge from I don't know what I'm doing and should I do this, but at least you're not getting resistant and you get those extra few yeah. years to the point where you're actually doing it. Yeah. So I'm I'm very grateful for I'm very grateful for that. I, I mean, my dad. My dad was strangely, um, I wouldn't say that I got resistance, but I think he was very concerned because like, you know, I don't know about other people, but like my dad and I have like very logistical conversations all the time. Like my mom and I, and I'm, I'm again, also very fortunate to be like, to have a close relationship with both of my parents separately. Um, but my mm -hmm. mom is like the person who's like always checking in like emotionally. How am I doing? I'm on the other side of the country. She misses me. I miss her. And my dad is like, okay, like what's happening? How much money are you making? What are you doing? And then those like non-equity mm -hmm. my dad was like, wait, you're making how much for the show? And it's how long? 
okay, you okay, okay, you got to do something else. And so <laughs> he he was he was really concerned. Uh, but when I was like, no, I'm making this much money a week, he was like, oh, okay, all right, okay, all right. So yeah. he he, he came around like eventually. Hmm. Eventually, yeah. Well, that's a good thing. You know, you want to have both those voices. You want to have the person who's just like help, you know, emotionally supportive and the person who's like, okay, that's taken care of. Now, how are you paying rent? You know, right. do you have milk and bread? You know. <laughs> okay. No, so, I'm going to win. So you... <laughs> that that's awesome. the other thing is they don't have Jack in the Box in New York City. So I'm so sad that I, I don't know why I moved they away from the Bay. Uh-uh. I, I I could send you some Jack in the Box if you need some. I would love that. I, remember, I don't think it'll keep, but I would love that. There was a story like last year about some woman. Oh, did, I, you probably heard this. I think it might have been in Brooklyn where somebody was walking down the street and they saw a bag of in and out uh, sitting in the middle of the street. like, And it was like four burgers in there. And they were perfectly fine. And and people took pictures of them because there's no in and out burger in New York. And they oh. did this whole internet search. And it turned out that it was some woman who – I think it was a woman who had come from uh, the Bay Area – and she bought all this in and out to, to take back to New York, and she was getting on the bus, and she had to put it down to get her wallet to get her card out for the bus. And she put it down outside of the bus, and the bus took off, and she had left her in and out burgers on the, on, the, on the street. I don't know if anybody no. ate them. I don't think so. But Yeah, yeah I mean, that's, that's at least six hours old if she, you know, flew across the, the she flew. country. Right. But, but that was hey. going to be worth it for Yeah. Hey. Yeah, so. Well, I, okay, maybe I won't send you any jackets. Maybe box, not. But maybe. the next I'll, time I'll I come to New York, I'll just bring over. you some. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, okay, so you're in college. You do uh, uh, the whiz. Everything's changing now. So what did what so, – but you decided to stay in the Bay Area. Um, why did you decide to stay in the Bay Area as an actor? Yeah, I mean, so in my freshman year of college, I got cast in a production of Spunk at the Lorraine Hansberry <laughs> Theater. This was like way back when uh, Stanley and Quentin were still there. Um, and I like, I loved, I loved the work. I loved the people. Um, and slowly, the more I did, the more people I met and, and loved and started working in, in Berkeley and doing work at Berkeley Playhouse and Children's Theater and doing Shakespeare at Impact and like all these, these places. Um, and then in, I, and also like, to be perfectly honest, like I was happy. So I never, I never really thought about moving to New York City. It was like, oh, I have a, a great life here. I, I have friends. I have loved ones. I'm close enough to my family. So it's like, a, you know, a five-hour drive at the most to see, you know, my, my folks. Um, yeah, this is great. And then in 2012, I was at an event for TBA, 
And this guy walked up to me and he said, hey, are you doing anything this summer? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, and then I did a show with the Mime Troupe. And then like uh, a month after that, I did a show at Intersection for the Arts that traveled to La Mama in New York City. And oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and we, it's so funny, we actually landed in New York City on election night, right in 2012, like right after the lights had come back on after Hurricane Sandy. Um, mm -hmm. And we were there for like six weeks. Um, and I got bit by the New York bug and I was like, well, I'm 27 now. I don't have any kids. I'm not married. If this goes badly, I can just come back to the Bay mm. and they'll be like, you know, it'll be fine. But I was really scared of um, it going badly. So it, I basically like planned for two years, like to move to New York and didn't tell anybody. Um, so I was like, okay, I have a, I have a plan. Uh, I think I'm going to figure it out. And then in 2014, I like moved and didn't tell anyone. And I don't, I don't think people knew I moved until like a year or so later. So they're like, oh, I haven't seen you in a long time. I was like, I don't know why. I've been here. <laughs> um, and then, then I kind of got outed that I, that I moved. Now, but I want to go back to, but so before I cast you at the troupe, you already had this really good reputation. You know, the reason <laughs> that I came up at TVA party was people were like, I mean, it was weird that people would say to me, like, when are you guys going to work with Reggie? And I was like, you know. So you already had, I guess, from Impact. And where were you doing children's theater? Oh, God. Uh, so, I, uh, so, like, this funk show was in 2008. And then I was still mm -hmm. mostly in school. Uh, or try, this function was in 2007. Uh, but I was mostly still focused on school. Uh, and then in 2009, I did a show at Berkeley Playhouse with John Tracy. And then oh, what was that? Uh, what was the, show? the Wizard of Oz, actually. Oh, you did The Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. Yes. So I did I did both versions. Of, of, yeah. And I just need to do Wicked to complete the, the trilogy. Yeah, finish the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then Impact. And then I did a show uh, at the newer iteration of the Lorraine Hansberry um, in 2010, I did their Christmas show that Margot Hall directed. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. And I did a show for Bay Area Children's Theater. Like, I was doing a lot. Like, I think some people actually thought that I only did children's theater for like a couple of years because that was like all that I was doing. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, it's great like 2011. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they are a very honest audience. They will tell you if they believe what's happening or not. Actually, you know, my mom, again, like, not at all literate about theater at all. Her favorite mm -hmm. show that I've ever done in my entire career, including my Broadway debut, was um, this production for Bay Area Children's Theater called the, Of the Little Engine That Could. And <laughs> it was, um, it was precious uh because i played all of the trains so i was like the train that broke down and all the trains that wouldn't take the toys and then i was also the little engine that could and they hmm. each had their own little song 
And my mom was like, I love the little blue engine song. And so like about three times a year, she'll be like, can you leave me a voicemail and sing the blue engine song? And I'm like, yes, mom. Okay. I, I will do, th- I will do that. <laughs> I, I won't, yeah, I, I won't I've ask you to sing it done a lot of readings and workshops. And then also in 2011, I did the premiere of Exit Pursued by a Bear, which is how I met Lauren, who's, you know, now my best friend. Mm-hmm. But I think that, like, 2011, 2012 was when I started to become a serious actor to, to some people. And, and also when I started to believe for myself that it, it actually, like, was a viable career and that I that I was going to be okay because I, I think even until I got my equity card in 2012 I, I wasn't really sure I was like I think I'll get to do it but yeah that was when it sort of became real yeah because I remember somebody like I said people were like you gotta see Reggie you gotta see Reggie and and you know when you're in shows and I'm in shows a lot so I don't oh, really wow. see that many shows and so, yeah. and I, well, I, I, got, I got rent to pay too. And so, uh, but you did, uh, you did the fundraising brunch for the uh, uh, Bay Area uh, Playwrights Foundation. You did oh my a Playwrights God, Foundation yeah. brunch. Yeah. And, and uh, I've been asked to be there as one of the, pl- as just a, a guest playwright, because I wasn't a member yet, but I was, uh, they'd done a couple of readings in my show, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go. And somebody said, well, Reggie's going to do the reading at his play. He's going to be participating. So I went to see you. <laughs> you know, I got a free lunch, and it was good, and I wanted to support the organization. But I was like, I need to see this man, <laughs> you know, just so I have an idea. So really, kind of, that was your audition. <laughs> so did you know? Well, I'm glad I didn't, I didn't blow over it. Thank goodness. And I was like, he's, do, he's up there, and he's working, and everyone, yeah, I remember even – and so then when the TBA event came up and you were there and I think Margo was there and Margo was yeah. like, he's right over there. You should go talk to <laughs> oh him. And so, yeah, so that's why I just made a beeline. You don't know, but uh, you want to be in a show? That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so crazy because like yeah. when I was at Cal State Hayward, um, we did a whole unit about the mime troupe. And so like, oh my God. Yeah. Like we were, we did a whole unit on like bread and puppet and the mime troupe and, and what it meant to like create theater that was in response to like what was happening in the world and Hmm. and theater as activism. Cause I mean like art in in and of itself is a political act, but there were companies, obviously, you know, this because you, run the my troop um who make it their mission I don't to run actually, it for like, a collective speak. yeah <laughs> um yes 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 you're part of the collective um but who, there are theater companies that make it their mission to speak to what's happening and and really take responsibility for their voice um and that was also like the beginning of my political awakening as a like as a, a queer black man um and so like when you approached me like you don't know but i like went home and freaked out um, so I was I was also very very excited when when that happened. Oh, cool, good. And it was a and it was a lot of fun. You uh, you know uh, I you know one of the things when people think oh well you know you're auditioning for a show and it's a mind troop when we're trying to write things when I'm writing things I'm writing them a lot of it is based on what I see as the person I want to write something that's gonna feel right for them and so 
Uh, and so you stepped in, and I think also because of the children's theater stuff, having that big style, you know, yeah. being able to play that hero villain that you played, you know, um, for people who didn't sit, for those few people who didn't see you know, um, uh, for the greater good, uh, it was a it was a ironic melodrama, of yep. really kind of about the corporate response response to the Occupy movement. And so it was ironic in that the corporations were the heroes, and the corporate head, played by Ed Holmes, was the hero. And Occupy and all of its ideals were all demonized in a way to make it very clear to the audience what we really thought. And, I and still Reggie actually Flint, have one of Ed's Saint Stupid. I had his like Saint Stupid sticker that he snuck in my gas tank up until I like got rid of my car, like three <laughs> years later. Uh, so, yeah, he's still doing that. Though they couldn't do it this year, and it was really a bump. He did the St. Stupid's Day Parade because he had to stay home. And he's like, oh, man. Um, yeah, so 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 uh, uh, Reggie played, uh, what was it, uh, Damien Landless, who was a spokesperson. Yeah, Landless, who was a spokesperson and a drama teacher. He was a spokesperson for Occupy and a drama teacher on the side. And so you have these monologues. He's talking about one thing, but it's also about the drama of what he's going to do with his students. And he did a great job. Had a a hoodie. Was it a a hoodie? A like hoodie cape. Long enough to be a a cape. Yeah. So, yeah. so you could whip that around. That was a fun show. I really liked that one. I and, learned uh, a lot about all the building and the tearing down and and like making that show fit in that truck. I. I worked out yeah. so much that summer. It was great exercise. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's a full day of medieval theater. Yep. You know. Except we have a truck that has an engine rather than a horse. Besides that, it's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so you did your amazing summer. I, though I do remember, I remember the moment you were talking about this with something else earlier. The moment when I told you how much we got paid. And you were like, I don't know if I could do that. And I said, you know that's per week. And you were like, oh, wait a minute. Because you were like, you weren't sure if you were going to do it until I, I told you. Like, I don't know I was that like, I can whatever afford to do that. Like, yeah, right. yeah, and I was like, oh, that's per week. And you were like, oh, let me get right back to you. Yes, that told you all about where I was in my career at that moment. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, so we had you for a little while. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then, so, so you, you, you decide to. Oh, so then you get into the show that goes to New York. Which, what was, what show was that? Uh, it was called Dog's Body by Eric N. Um, that. Mm. Um. Rebecca Novick directed, and it had it was a three person show. It was me, Catherine Castellanos, and Ram, Rami Margron. Oh yeah, uh, okay. yeah. Uh, and it was part of a festival of Eric N plays. I think there were seventeen plays that they had staged at other parts of the country, and some of them were with puppets and shadow, and some of them were other like um, shows with, with people in them. And we were part of the festival, and we were there for, I think, like, six weeks. Um, and that was that was when I was pretty certain that I wanted to give it a shot. 
So I was like, oh, let me <laughs> secretly plot and plan. Um, because for me, it, the, the desire to move to New York was never about like being on Broadway or, or any of the sort of like other metrics that people judge like success by. But it was like, you know, it's a new city and I'll give it a shot. And I think I would have always wondered what would have happened if I didn't move. And, and I knew, cause I know myself, it's, it's hard to change when you get really comfortable. And I felt myself getting mm -hmm. really, really comfortable in the Bay because it is such a lovely place to live. And I was like, if I don't move now, I will probably never move and mm. let's try it. Uh, and I and I actually fully expected to to be back by now, actually. Um, but <laughs> I haven't come back. Time here. There's yeah. still time. There's still time. I'm still not married, yeah. so it's okay. There's still time. <laughs> so you end up in New York, well, not end up, but your you, your secret plan, yeah, to 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 get to New York works out, and and so how did that now? When I saw you. I ran uh, uh, when when I came to see um, uh, the the uh, Lawrence play at uh, East 59th. Oh if you my guys, God! You had yeah. done that at like, and you had done that somewhere else. The, was it the McCarter or where have you done it? And they moved uh, to there. We did it at Merrimack Rep in just outside of Boston. Merrimack, right? So how did that happen? Did you were you in New York and you auditioned for it uh, out of town? Well, actually. Lauren had written <laughs> Lauren oh, had written the play. Yeah, she wrote the play for me. Um Ooh. to do and they did it at the at Marin in twenty thirteen. Um and I did I don't remember what I was doing, but I, I didn't do it, I couldn't do it. Um and then I moved to New York. And she was like, it's getting produced off Broadway. You have to do the play. And I was like, I mean, okay, I guess if I have to, then I have to. No! Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't want my off-Broadway debut in a two-person show. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. And so uh, that was like the, the fall of 2015 um, into the beginning of 2016. Um, so I had been in New York City for about a year, and it was it was a an educational year. I definitely kept my bags packed for the whole for that whole. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna move back. I'm gonna move back. I'm gonna move back. Um, and then um, went to Boston for two months, and then came back to the city and did the show. And it was it was really lovely. I, I think it was the first time feeling like oh, I, I think I understand the muscle memory of what it takes to be an artist who still, you know, has other plates spinning and, and trying to stay balanced and trying to call my parents enough so that they're not worried about me and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Wow, but that must have been, I mean, because that's another one of those things that, you know, like like before when you were like, yeah, so I was in L.A., and yeah, I did a couple of television shows and a couple of commercials. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, so I'm in New York, and yeah, see, here's my my off-Broadway debut in a two-person show after, yeah, 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 but anyway. It, <laughs> pays, like, it pays to be friends with really talented playwrights. That's that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But still, 
I told Lauren, I was like, I am happy to ride your coattails for as long as humanly possible. (laughs) And she's got some coattails. I mean, she's always (laughs) riding three or four plays in one. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Um, so, so now had you done other, when, before that show in that year, had you done other, anything else in New York? Um, so actually in 2014, uh, the last show that I did in the Bay before I secretly moved, uh, cause I did two, two shows in 2014 in the Bay that I, that like were huge for me personally, career wise. Um, so I did a show at Z space uh, called Hundred Days with the Banksons mm-hmm. that Annie Kaufman oh, directed. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in 2015, when I moved to New York, Annie was directing a show at the Public, and so I assisted her. So I was her assistant director at the Public. So that was like one of my first theater jobs was assisting at the Public, which was a pretty big deal. Um, and yeah. then I did a musical. Uh, that like was my first, the first thing I got cast in just from like an open call audition because I was like, oh, this doesn't happen. Like people, um, the, the joke sometimes in New York is that EPA stands for entirely pointless auditions um, because, <laughs> you know, like often with a lot of bigger projects, they already have offers out to people that they're, that they're interested right. in from the beginning and that like sometimes they feel like a perfunctory act. But in most cases, like casting directors and directors are actually like looking for people at auditions. So it pays to always like do your best all the time. Um, And so Mm -hmm. I got cast in this uh, project that I won't name because it was not a highlight. Um, But I did meet, um, there were seven of us in the show and the seven, we did that in 2015 and we all, are very, very close and still talk to this day. Um, so that was like a really lovely personal moment, but it was, uh, I think one of my friends said, well, when this is over, no one will remember how bad it was. And I was like, yeah, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Um, so so I, I and you in New York was, was the first sort of like, hooray, I think I'm actually doing something right. Um, so that, that, that felt good. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you, that doing that show, getting, and I actually I remember, yeah, I saw you do the Bankson show at Joe's Pub also. I yeah. While I was there, I was oh like, oh, God. I, I, yeah. yeah. Cool. Man, yeah, that great. That, that, and that show um, has changed a lot since we did it in San Francisco six years heard, ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when I told people that I saw it there, and they were like, oh, well, did this happen and this happen? And I was like, none of that was in the show anymore, I guess. No, no. It, it's like it, it was a completely different show from the version at Z-Space. Like, and for those of us, uh, it, the, like the cast was twice as big at Z-Space, and there was like this whole other fictional mm-hmm. storyline. Um, yeah. And, and there are like four people, uh, Sean, Abigail, obviously, uh, myself, and another actor, Joe Lampert. I think the four of us are the only ones who did it from Z Space all the way to New York Theater Workshop in 2017. And that, like that Z Space production, well, and Annie obviously was directing it the whole time, feels like a yeah. nice little um, memento, like a nice little 
photo locket because it was such a beautiful memory and none of us knew what the show even was or what it was going to be. And it's just a testament to like the process of new work. It takes a long time mm -hmm. sometimes for an idea to come together. Um, and when it does mm -hmm. come together, it's, it's really beautiful. And just like what a tribute to all the people who gave of their time and their imagination to go on that journey back then when it was a little complicated. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it's, it, it's, that was that was a, a fun journey to be a part of for for a few years. It sounded like a lot of fun and really crazy looking. Um, <laughs> so okay, so uh, okay, so you finish uh, 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 the show at um, your, your off Broadway debut. Yes. And um, I, and then I'm sure the offers just came raining in, you like know, they do in New that's York. Actually, not how it happened. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I kind of had my bags packed uh, until for a long time. I also uh, was very guilty of being one of those actors who moves to New York and is never there. Um, so mm -hmm. the day, I, I will always remember the day I moved to New York because when I was on a layover, from I think I had bought the cheapest flight possible, so I had like six layovers. But I think my first layover, I got an email from Berkeley Rep saying that I got cast in Party People. So I was like, oh my God, okay, I guess I'm going back to the day. Uh, so in 2014, I left to do a show. In 2015, I think I was back in the Bay to do something. And then I went to Merrimack. In 2016, I was at La Jolla. In 2017, I was in Pennsylvania. In 2018, I was at the Arden. So, like, I've, I've been all over the place. Um, because for me, again, like, it was always about the work. Um, mm -hmm. So the the offers did not, like, they, they were not banging down my dressing room door to offer me all the jobs. But I, again, have been really, really fortunate to, to work on a bunch of things that I loved and I've, I've, I've felt really passionately about. Um, Mm -hmm. I have loved working on new plays for all of my career and have been happy to to spend a lot of to been spending my time doing that. Um, so that's been that's been nice. It's been nice. And I've met a lot of really incredible collaborators along the way. Um, and New York has always felt like home and still does feel like home. I think mm -hmm. there's there's an energy to the city that I re that resonates with me. Um, but I'm I've been always willing to like you know go anywhere i was like yep 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 i'll just pack a suitcase yeah how long great how much per week okay great uh, i'll go <laughs> per week per week yeah okay. i talked to a bunch of people it's like new york i uh blaine and i went there a couple of times we would like go and audition but then we had to leave because yeah we, we normally already had like a mind troop show where we already had gigs in the bay area and we're like we just want people to see us and right. And the other actors we talked to were like, some people had been there their whole careers, and they were like, I never work in New York. You know, yeah. this is my home. This is my base. I work around the country because everybody casts out of New York. Well, yeah. Or not everybody, but it's like television casting out of, or movies casting out of L.A. L.A., you know? yeah. Uh, so, so that having that as you're like, this is my apartment. This is where I get mail. This is where I pay my energy bills and all of that. Yep. But – most of the time, I'm subletting that to somebody else, you know? Yeah. 
There was in twenty in twenty eighteen. I think I back to like I left the city in June to do a show in Seattle, and then I did a show in China, and then I did a show at San Diego in uh, at La Jolla in San Diego, and then I did a show at Indiana Rep. So I was gone consecutively for seven months. Like I like did not see my apartment from August to January. Hmm. Yeah. 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 It, it's a. Uh, it's a lot of it's, rent. It's a base. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot of rent. Did you sublet to to other actors or what? I did. I did. I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah, Thank that's you. such a big part of. It's like a big part of the actors who aren't in New York. Our opportunities to visit have to do with subletting from actors who are on the road. We're out of town. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so what were you doing in China? I remember hearing about that. What was that? Yeah. So um, back when we could fly to places, <laughs> um, I was doing a work. Uh, it feels weird to call it a workshop because it, it, it was fully realized, I'd, um, which was awesome. But this bilingual, bicultural musical that the Chinese ministry had commissioned um, that was about two stories. It was an, uh, an American English story and uh, a Chinese story about this one mountain. Uh, and on one side of the mountain were Americans and on the other side were, uh, were the, Chinese, uh, the Chinese story. Uh, it was a, minor, a Chinese minority language called Nuosu was the language that it was written in. Um, and they were oh. two stories about love and adversity and yeah, it, it was it was like a little bit of a fairy tale. It was fun, it, but it was uh, it was insane to see how much you know how much work goes into putting up a workshop in China. Like there were thirty foot posters, and I was like, oh my god! Like we're only gonna be here for one week. We're only performing for one week, but it was it was great. Uh, there was like a there was like a film of our rehearsals, and there were like five cameras, and I was like, oh, oh my god, this is all this for a workshop? Like this is insanity. Um, but we got wow. to meet a lot of ambassadors. Um, it was it was great. I I have eaten so many different parts of a pig that I did not know were edible, uh, <laughs> and I've learned that anything is edible if you season it properly. Hmm. That's yeah. a life lesson. That's important. Yeah. That's important. Anything is edible if you season it properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And maybe don't ask too many questions. Don't. Please don't. Because, like, you don't really want to know. Like, eat it first. Yeah. Like, and, and then if you're curious, you, you know, you can ask follow-up questions. But I've, I've eaten, yeah. I mean, like, my mom was like, are you eating bugs? And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not eating bugs. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm eating every part of a pig uh not the eyeballs not the not the eyeballs but i've had brains and stomach and and all that stuff and when it's seasoned right it's quite delicious it can work it works i remember i was in a i was doing a a mime troupe show in jerusalem and they said we're going to take you out to dinner you know on your first night there and so they took all of us to this restaurant and they put out this plate and it and it looked like like kind of like white, mushy peas in kind of a white gravy. And they're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, this is delicacy. It's delicious. 
And so I asked. I made the mistake of asking, and I said, it's turkey testicles. And I was like, I didn't even know that. I hadn't thought about it, but I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know turkeys had testicles, but I guess they reproduce. Yeah, and if you're killing a bunch of turkeys, you got to kill a lot of turkeys to get a plate full of their, a little mountain of their testicles. And I didn't taste them because I should have, I should have, I should have tried first and then said, mmm, that's delicious. What is this? What is this? Yeah. Yeah. Instead, I was like, there was my father. was like, what is this? A turkey testicles. Oh, I'm on a turkey testicle diet. My doctor says, you know, my, my, my blood, my blood turkey testicle level is too high (laughs) and I don't have my medication. So too much. Yeah. My levels are too high. Yeah, really. Oh, damn. Um, so, okay. So doing all of that and then uh, um so what happened so you're in new york and you finally get a chance to work back in new york yeah 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 i i'm trying to think i've always done at least one show a year in the city um and then uh in 2019 um i got to do a play um in midtown that was cool Mm -hmm. Well, tell us about the play. What happened? How'd you do? What was it about? What happened? Um, yeah, it, it's a, it was um, a, a strange sort of happenstance. Uh, so The Inheritance uh, was a big hit in London, and I was doing another show at La Jolla Playhouse. <laughs> I've, like done, I've worked there like three years in a row now. Um, and That's my nice. like... Uh, where there's this play, I think you should do it. Um, can you get back to the city? And I was like, No, I'm in a like pl- I'm in a play. You know, I'm in a play. I'm in a play. Uh, so I make a video, and I'm like, Okay, this isn't gonna happen. Like, there's no way they're gonna cast me from a videotape. Um, so then they, my agent was like, Okay, well they're not doing, they're not seeing people who can't come into the city. And I was like, Oh well, too bad. And then a week later, she's like, Okay, wait, actually. Uh, they want to Skype you in uh, at 10 a.m. And I was like, oh, great. And then I hang up the phone and I'm like, oh, wait, 10 a.m. Eastern time? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, so you want me to audition for Broadway at 7? Okay, great, 7 a.m. So I get up um, at 5 because I like couldn't sleep that whole night. And, yeah. um, you know, like th- there was like this insane hijinks where like they thought I had a reader and I was like, who is getting up to read with me at 7 a.m.? Absolutely not. Um, and so then they were like, OK, they still want to see you again. So the day after the show was over, I flew like I was supposed to be in Seattle for something else. So I like rearranged my whole travel itinerary, flew to New York for 22 hours um, and by the time I landed in Seattle, I got the phone call that I booked the show on Broadway. And uh, that was great. And, um, you know, it, it's it's been a real, I would say a dream, not because like being on Broadway means anything different. Like it was still working on a new play with all of the yeah. challenges of working on a new play. Um, there were certainly a few more people seeing it than usual. Um, but it, it, you know, like also to be able to work on something for so long, most plays Mm -hmm. are, you know, from beginning to end is like three months tops. 
Um, and to be able to spend seven months in a world with with people and and it, it was it was a, a dream and it feels a little weird to sort of have that end abruptly but what we were all talking about uh, a month ago when we all closed because of the virus was that like the play is a little bit about people not really getting to say goodbye um, and so it felt kind mm -hmm. of serendipitous that this play in which so many of us were making our Broadway debuts also like we didn't get to say goodbye to it um, and it, it was a, mm -hmm. a lovely beautiful experience I yeah it was it was great it was really great it was great do you think that they'll uh, try to reopen it I don't think so but uh, I think the Geffen a couple of months ago had already announced that they were do they they wanted to do a remount um they wanted mm -hmm. to do a remount in january of 21 now that was before all this stuff happened so i don't know if that's still going to happen but i think the play will live on and um you know who knows how many of us will be involved in like other iterations of it but i think that that premiere was was really special and there were people who had done it from the very beginning and it so it felt like a, a huge gigantic family like a, a transatlantic family because like some folks came from oh, London and cool. it was great wow yeah it's it's weird you know um like you were saying the thing about things being cut off like that they like said we had just started rehearsals for ragtime uh at theater works we were like one week in Crazy. When they said that, well, yeah, that's it. But one of the things that was cool with, was they said, okay, we were in their next season. The end of the next season was going to have, um, they were going to do Man of La Mancha. And they decided to drop Man of La Mancha and move Ragtime to the <laughs> end of next season and just said, you guys are all precast. We're gonna, we want to bring back the same cast. Oh, that's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, this, this has got to be so rare. They were just like, you are already cast that production. Cool. And that's great. Towards the I mean, end of the that's season, also the other so thing that I, I didn't realize until I had, well, done some directing of my own and, like, been on the other side of the table, is that, like, casting is kind of a pain for everybody. Like, actors hate auditioning, yeah. but, like, directors and producers and playwrights are like, oh, God, I have to find the right person. So, like, when you find people that work, you're like, yes, please, just do all the things. Like, Make, you know, yeah. great. So that that's that's amazing. That definitely, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, they they saying that's one of the things I'm always telling you know student actors is that people are like, man, they dread uh, auditioning. They go and they see these people behind the table, and like, the people behind the table hope that you are the answer to all their problems. They're praying. That's what that they, they want. They're praying that you're going to come in, and it's not about blowing them away and, and make, being perfect. It's just you're the answer to my problems. Thank right. you. So they're not putting themselves through anything to see you. They just – their expectation is – or not expectation. You just could be the answer. And they if you hope. think of it that way, they hope. You're there to – and if you're not – uh, if you're not cast, it's because you didn't fit in. But they might still really like you and remember you. Absolutely. Or something else, you know. You might not answer this question, but you might be the perfect fit for something else. 
and to and, just go in there and go, they they are they are on your side. They're not the enemy. And like so Tyler can the actors famously think, said, "We're rooting for you. We're all rooting for you." Yeah, all the time. So. So that's, you know, that's one of those things, uh, and, and it's super cool that, that theater works, and that's why I asked. I mean, it seems like with The Inheritance seemed to be doing well. You know, I mean, the reviews were good. It was doing well. Yeah. So. And it had run longer see, than any other think, play in the season, so yeah. it, it, it had been around for a long time, so that was great. Yeah, I would, I would hope that, you know, when, when Broadway opens up again, will they want to try to uh, spend the time going into, you know, working on new stuff. If it was me, I'd go like, I want to hit the ground running, you know? Yeah. I want to start off something that we only have to do a, you know, a couple of weeks of brush up rehearsals rather than six weeks of new generation. Yeah. But I mean, we'll I think see. the thing that's complicated with some of the shows is that, you know, some of the theaters still want to, you know, collect rent. Because that's the thing yeah. that's that's different from Broadway than from a re- like from uh, an institution that owns their space or might lease their space from someone yeah. that like there are three com- three companies basically the Schuberts the Jew Jamesons and the Niederlanders that own all the buildings so the shows don't own the buildings except Phantom right. I think Cameron McIntosh bought that building a long time ago um, so Phantom yeah. is not going anywhere. And I think Chicago, yeah. like Chicago and Hamilton and Book of Mormon, some of those shows that have, have been there for a long time are not going anywhere. Wicked certainly is not going anywhere. Um, but some of yeah. the like shows that intended to really only run for a season or some of the plays, I think oh, it has been true. challenging to figure out how to make the margins work. Um, yeah. But I, I fully hope that um, as many of the shows that were stuttered can can reopen. I, I think three of them have announced that they're not going to open from a, for a combination of like financial losses and scheduling. Like I know there was a Lori Metcalf, Virginia Woolf that was about to open um, that, that they announced okay. that they weren't going to continue. But like there was a, a company, a, a, a revival of company with Patti Lapone that everyone was really excited about that right. came over from London. That I think they were about to, they were in previews and they were about to open like the weekend before everything closed. So I hope that sticks around because like everyone wants to see Patti LuPone. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I hope as many of those shows as possible can can stay. But it's been it's been really strange to even imagine what it's like to to be in a room of a thousand people again. Um, and who knows yeah. who knows how long that'll that'll take until we all feel safe or comfortable doing right. that. <clears throat> yeah, because it's one thing, once they say, like with the mind trip we were talking about, even if they say, and a lot of the theaters here, once they say, oh, it doesn't matter anymore, you know, we've got a vaccine, or, or we don't have to do the social distancing or as much of it, but but will an audience actually show up? Right. That's the thing. It's like, yeah, you might be able to cast together, but is anybody going to, how long will it take to rebuild a theater audience. I mean, it's the same thing that, that like football teams and baseball teams are dealing with in basketball. Yeah. They're like, yeah, even if we start playing again, are people just going to be like, I'm going to watch this on television. You know? Now the troop, I'll watch this you on can, ESPN. You can do the, a troop show in the park and people can distance, so that's nice. Right. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm, I'm hoping. But 
the other thing that's weird is it's like we can do the shows in the park and the audience can easily be six feet apart from each other, like, you know, Shakespeare festivals and all these companies. Yeah. But the parks are run by the city and county of San Francisco. Right. And so the city decides um, that they don't, you know, they're like, yeah, everybody can do social distancing, but we don't want any events in the park. Right. Because it's part of our, like, we don't want many, too many people in the city buildings. That right. it's part of our structure, and we can't carve parks out. So I don't know. We will see what we will see. Yeah. So in the meantime, now you're sitting up in your hamlet. Yes. Um, now, are you, like, I was talking to um, the composer lyricist for the Mind Trip now, Daniel Savio, and he's, in, he's way off in Richmond. Way off in Richmond. It's not that far. Uh, he's in Richmond, but he's by himself. And he's just living by himself, and and you know his mother lives in a, uh, if I'm remembering correctly, in a retirement community that he doesn't want to visit. You know they don't want people coming in yeah, to the retirement community. Yeah, very scary. So now, are you by yourself? Do you have folks around? Thankfully, no. Um, so I'm here with my partner and three okay. of his friends. It's a it's a family home that one of my partner's friends owns or their family owns. So we're, we're, we left on like March 11th and there are five of us here. So it's really nice that all oh, of gosh. us, like in the daytime, we're all like doing our own things and I'm still teaching and, but we eat dinner mm -hmm. together every night. And so that's, that's good. Um, it, it definitely helps. Cause I know lots of friends who are still in the city who live alone because like they either lived by themselves or their roommates left the city and, and it, it's, it's tough. Like you know, we're we're social creatures. We're we're not meant to be completely isolated for too long. Um, so I'm yeah. I'm very fortunate that I you know can see other faces in 3D on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, it does make a huge difference. You know, yeah. another friend who lives in the city, and he doesn't live by himself. He lives with his father, and he had been complaining about living with his father, but now. It's like that's his company. It's the only yeah. person he talks to. So yeah. he's like, he's not complaining as much anymore. Yeah. It is tough. Oh, so you're teaching. You're, you because know, I was talking, like I said, talking to Ugo Carbajal the other day, and he's teaching online. And then Valina, who's teaching high school drama, she's teaching online. So how, how are you doing it? What do you, and like with Ugo, he's mainly, he teaches movement. I'm like, how do you teach movement online? It's, it's, I, it's very hard. It's very, very hard. So I'm the artistic director of the Atlantic Acting School. And so we are one of the primary training studios for NYU. Uh, and so I teach a first year and a third year acting class. And it's, it's taken a lot of flexibility, um, a lot of creativity. Um, because, you know, act, acting is, is meant to be an in-person, visceral exercise and those things are difficult to do but there are still skills to be mastered and so we've we've really sort of slowed down and and focused on like the the small sort of fundamentals um there's a lot of reading there's a lot of like processing um but what i what i also appreciate is that i think all of my students, at least in, in our conversations, have expressed a hunger for the things that they've taken for granted because, you know, they don't have them anymore. 
Um, so a lot of them yeah. are really excited to come back and be in the room with like a new perspective on on how precious a gift it is to be able to tell stories in this way. So um, it's it's been challenging, and, and all of us have had to reconfigure our curricular curricula in lots of different ways. Um, but it's it's been great to have the buy-in of the students um, and the support of of our institution. Um, to remain flexible because it does still a little bit feel like a moving target. And I think I, I was explaining this to my mom a couple weeks ago that it, it all feels like, I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, when I would, whenever we would drive through a tunnel, I would like hold my breath until we got to the yeah. end. And it feels like, you know, you're like, you're holding your breath and there's another turn and you're like, when the, when is this tunnel, when are we going to get out of this thing? Uh, and you think you see a light and you're mm. like, oh, there's the light, but that's just like a light on the side. Um, so it feels like none of us know when the end is, but that's okay because we're all in it together. And as long mm. as we, you know, remember to take each other, you know, to take each other, treat each other kindly um, and to work and operate with generosity, then we'll, we'll figure it out. And, and hopefully we're better at being people at the end of this, I hope. Okay, well, I guess on that note, we might as well close this out, having the chance to talk to Reggie D. White off in his little hamlet in New York. It was so, so great to talk bye to bye you. You too. This has been the Mimecast, and I've been Michael Gene Sullivan. Music for the Mimecast is by Dred Scott. And if you're interested in seeing video versions of any of these interviews, please check out the San Francisco Mime Troop YouTube channel. Thanks a lot. See you next time. Power to the people.